0: Welcome to episode 107 of Telepractice Today with Kim Dutro allen and Dr. Todd Houston.
1: Welcome back to another episode. Um, I just have a couple of tips and hacks that I have figured out when using YouTube in sessions and one of them I just got told This week I saw it somewhere and I was like, where has this been all my life? So (laughs) with YouTube, one of my biggest annoyances is the ads and like suggestions of like what you should watch next that pop up, especially since sometimes for personal use, I'm watching it for like true crime things. And then all of a sudden (laughs) it pops up when I'm in a session with somebody (laughs) So, if you are in a YouTube site, you can put a dash between the T and the U in YouTube, and it automatically brings up a full screen ad free without any, like, cook- cookies or anything version of the video. Mm. So quick and easy, and it works. I tried it right before to make sure it actually <laughs> worked. But, so that's a great hack if you're wanting to get rid of some of those extra distractions that can be there for kids. Um, another one is that you can change the speed of a video. If you just click on the little, like, settings button down in the corner on your YouTube video, you can change the speed of it. I really like to use that when I... I'm doing any of the game or the songs that have movement with them. Like if we're doing head, shoulders, knees and toes, or um, a lot of the super simple songs is a great website for YouTube videos. And a lot of those have actions with them Um, and actions. Following directions is sometimes a hard thing to do over, over teletherapy. So that's a great activity for that. And I just slow down the speed on that to give my kids a little bit longer to catch up and follow those directions. So that's a great thing I like to do. The other thing is it, you can find almost any children's book on YouTube if you look for it. And then you can also just pause it and then use your like, um, arrows that go back and forth to go forward five seconds in the video. So that can be kind of how you turn the page in the video and use a children's book and have all the pictures, but still have it at a pace where you're controlling the reading and can point out different things on the page. So those are some hacks that I've figured out for using YouTube in sessions.
0: Yeah, those are awesome. I am going to have to try the the dash
1: I wish I had known about it so much longer. There is um <laughs> there is a like safe YouTube site too, and right, I've used right. that as well. My uh, the thing that I didn't like about that is they changed some of their settings, so when I paused the video, it wouldn't show the video anymore. So I'd pause uh-huh. the video and like want to you know point out something in the background or something like that, and then it would just go back to like their like something you know with a picture that says share this on a site or something like that it wouldn't just like just show the video when it was paused so that was why I stopped using that so this other one's a, a great one to know about
0: yeah it's <clears throat> when you have all those uh, true crime stuff popping up in the middle of the <laughs> just oh. trying to click away as quickly yeah, as possible as quickly as you can. <laughs> Don't want the students to your students to, to see that <laughs> we will give them any ideas. Um, so on the on the podcast today, we have, uh, I think one of I think she's the first social worker we've interviewed. Um, I'm trying to think back all these episodes now. I don't remember one. Recall a social worker, but Tammy Limer is a social worker, a school social worker who works for global teletherapy, which was just purchased by Presence Learning. But she's going to talk about resiliency and some other strategies to help students right now and the differences between in-person therapy that she's having to do as well as teletherapy. So I'm excited to hear more from her.
1: Hi,
2: are you creative? Do you want to give a webinar or teach a course? Maybe you're a writer. Do you want to create a blog? Maybe you have an idea for a podcast. Whatever your passion is, we at 3C Digital Media Network want you to be a content creator so we can bring your ideas to life. So, to get started, visit our website at 3cdigitalmedianetwork.com and sign up to be a content creator. We look forward to seeing your passions come to life on our platform.
0: So, Tammy, welcome to the podcast. Can you share more about your background?
2: Sure. Uh, Thanks for having me. Um, I am a licensed social worker and a certified home and school visitor in Pennsylvania. Um, I have 16 years' experience in brick and mortar school, working with students with emotional disturbances and students on the autism spectrum. uh, right before the pandemic, so maybe about two and a half years ago, I started doing teletherapy for um, two specific schools in Pennsylvania through Global Teletherapy. Um, oof, I'm I'm the mother of uh, four wonderful kids, uh, and, and I really enjoy what I do. I I, I wasn't so sure about teletherapy at first. Um, but then once I got started with it, seeing the the differences and the similarities really, um, really spoke to me. And I, I think there's a whole lot um, to be said for tele, telepractice and, and what you can do with students and the connections that you actually can have with them.
0: So we definitely want to talk about telepractice, obviously, but uh, how how did you get into social work? How did that come up? Mm-hmm. And, and then in public schools, especially.
2: Um, well, I went to college undergrad and started my uh, education uh, with a major in psychi- psychology. Um, as an 18-year-old kid and going to classes, I felt like it was a whole lot of science and not a lot of people. Um, So I I figured that out really quickly. And I moved over to sociology. And the study of people in their environment really, really uh, spoke to me. And I I wanted to do so much with that. I actually started out working in nursing homes with the elderly population. um, And then I got married and had kids. And I stayed home with my kids and really dove into being a mother. And I loved children and, you know, child development and all of that. Um, so when my my firstborn started kindergarten, I was like, what kind of job could I get in a school? Um And I started out at a preschool, uh, applying for a job at a preschool, just part-time working with kids. But that led to the school district in the area saying, we really need a part-time social worker, um, but I only had my bachelor's degree, and I needed a master's degree and a certification to do it. So the emergency certified me, and they said, you have to go to school to get your master's degree, all while I had little children. But I really was interested in it. So I started off part-time and going to school to get my master's degree and raising kids. And interestingly enough, in the early part of my career, um, they said, okay, social worker, go teach social skills. And I think it was just (laughs) because the word social was in both because I had zero teaching experience. Mm -hmm. um, But I... You know, I was young and and just starting out in this career. So of course I was like, sure, I'll do whatever. Um, read some curriculum books on on social skills. I I took my my uh my act out to recess because they 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 were saying, you know, bring these four kids into a room and teach them social skills. And I felt like that was really just you know, not authentic to what I was trying to teach them. I thought if I'm trying to teach them to socialize, hey, hey kids, let's go out to recess because. That's where you're going to need to, you know, show me what you've learned. So um, the school district really liked that. But in the in the um, 16 years I've been there, my role has really changed um, as far as teaching social skills, then really like social emotional groups. To um, now in my career, I'm really um, family based and I'm working as a certified home and school visitor. So I'm in homes and I'm in the school and I'm really trying to connect uh, that resiliency piece to families because we were seeing a lot of the, the students not Um, producing in school, the student, what are we doing? The student's not attending. And it really goes back to, hey, what's going on at home? And what are the factors that we can really help with at home to make this child successful? Because if we're not making the the family system successful, there's only so much we can do with that one child.
1: Yeah, and I think in, I love that a viewpoint and that kind of shift in perspective, because I think in um, education, especially, and in special education, when we're thinking about, you know, everything has to have a academic relevance. And when we're really looking at that, you know, be- beyond what happens in the classroom really does affect what happens in the classroom. And changing yes. that perspective is something that needs to be more broad in education, I think
2: absolutely and i think even you know it's it's a it's a multi-system uh it, it's it's a multi-system and we're talking about parents we're talking about the child and i even found a lot of um roadblocks in terms of educators and and teachers in terms of you know what they were try- what they were trying to get this child to produce and i was saying you know there's all these you know factors at home or in the environment of this child and and you're worried about a science project and i'm not i'm not knocking the science project but i'm saying that's really really low mm-hmm. <laughs> it, you know in terms of what this family is dealing with the science project is not important when i'm when i'm trying to put food on my table mm-hmm. or i'm trying to get myself to work um and and just trying to educate educators to say like we we do have a lot of uh, stressful situations. We have trauma in the community, and we we do really have to be cognizant of that.
0: And so, how can professionals reinforce the resiliency of the child or the family?
2: Oh, that's such a good question. <laughs> um, I, I, I mean, I can only speak to myself and what I do, but I really feel like connection, connection, connection. We we all know it takes one person. Uh, a parent, a caregiver, a teacher, uh, a social worker, a guidance counselor, a principal, it takes one person to really make a connection with a child and for that child to, to build on that and, and, you know, really feel like someone is on their side or someone cares about them. Um, Even so in brick and mortar and even teletherapy, my first Thing is connection. I need to build a connection with this student. Um, so I, I'm putting, you know, the IEP goals and all this stuff to the side for a second because I really want to connect. And and who are you? And and what makes you tick? Um, I think that a lot of times, and and you know, I I've, I have a lot of experience with children with emotional disturbances, um, and I have worked in brick and mortar classrooms of of emotional emotionally disturbed students. I think that a huge thing is starting out with, how are you today? Um, I had a a very young, I want to say it was like a a first through third grade emotional support classroom where the teacher started every day with a a three-point scale of, you know, one I feel really, really awful. Two, I'm um, eh, in the middle, and three, I feel really, really great. And the kids just had to hold up their fingers at the beginning of the day, like, "Where is everybody?" Because if you have a student who's coming in off the bus as a number one and they're awful, maybe something happened at home, something happened last night. I feel like as an educator, you have to know where that child is and say, "I'm, I'm not really going to be able to get a whole lot of." academic content into this this child today. I have to really connect with him or her emotionally. Um, and what I thought was really interesting when we did that in the classroom is is that the kids started to be able to figure out what number we were, the adults, the teacher, uh, yeah. the student was like, Oh, you know, Mrs. Limer, I can see you're, you're a one today. And and I had to check my own self and say, mm-hmm. I am a one today. And, and you know, what, what can we do about that? And I loved it. I mean, we laughed, but I think I felt like I taught them something like Mm -hmm. you can also read other people and you have to know where they are. So I think, you know, my first question in every session, again, whether it's in person or, or virtual is, you know, how are you since the last time we met and, and has anything happened that, worries you or 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 makes you stressed or you know afraid has anything happened in the week cuz usually you know a related service provider i'm seeing kids weekly in this week that i haven't seen you has anything happened and let's talk about it and if i if my goal is social based or you know whatever if this if this child experienced something in the last week i really have to have to dive into that first before i can get to anything else i have Uh, two students that in the last month, when asking that question, one student told me that he was displaced. Uh, his landlord in his apartment had kicked he and his family out. So they were living somewhere else. So I learned that that's something we really have to talk about. I can't just put that to the side. Um, and another student, uh, told me that the past weekend he was at his mom's house and he, he witnessed some domestic violence in, in the mom's house. And I think, if we're not asking those questions, what whatever service it is, whether it's academics or uh, speech therapy, occupational therapy, uh, counseling, if we're not asking those questions and connecting with the child, then I feel like we're not really getting very far in in any of our practices. So I would say that's first. I know you, there are other mm-hmm. things. Um, I feel like structure, too. I feel like having a structure to your session. I always start with my question and and my students know that the first five to 10 minutes, I'm going to ask you how you're doing and did anything different happen? And then if there's a lesson, obviously that's going to be my meat. And then the last five to 10 minutes, I'm going to play a game with them because, again, I'm always trying to connect with them and I want to make it fun. I want them to come back. I don't want to be sitting with a blank screen and say, Where, where's Johnny today? I want Johnny to want to come back and, and be in my session. And I also think structure is super important to kids who are at home dealing with a whole lot of stress or or trauma. If they can expect to sit in your session and they know exactly what's going to happen, that makes them feel comfortable. It makes them feel safe. And maybe that's the only piece of safety and comfort that they have for the day. So I think uh, structure is really important. And I think strength-based goals. Um, I, I find myself in a lot of IEP meetings where I'm the counselor and I have a child that obviously has trauma or stress or attendance issue, like anything that we can name. And I really feel like the goal isn't matching. Um, I'm trying to uh, develop more goals that are fostering independence in in children. So if I have a student who's not attending, A, number one, I want to find out what are the barriers and and I'm going to connect with the family and say, what are these barriers? But if if I have a student who's not attending and, and, and we can go to, we can talk about virtual, and they can't depend on their parent to say, hey, here's your computer. It's mm-hmm. 2:30, it's time for your session. I feel like the goal needs to be that, you know, Johnny is, is going to be independent in, in attending his sessions, and, and that's where we need to start. Because if I can't get them to attend, I can't get them to, and that's going to be something that follows them throughout life. If, if there's trauma and they can't depend on certain people to help them or certain circumstances, they need to really, it's, it's strength-based it's independence. It's creating, you know, uh, self-esteem and, and, I really feel like that's important, and those kind of goals in IEPs in special education are really important. Um,
1: I don't know. That was a lot. Sorry. No, that was great. I think those are good ideas, and I feel like this year, more than any other year that I've been an SLP, I've had those social emotional things get in the way, I should, I don't know how else to say it, but get in the way of all of the goals that I had for my student. I've had students that have run out of the room crying to go talk to the counselor. I've had students that practically begged at their IEP meeting to not have services anymore because they had been in them since they were in preschool and they were in high school. And the team just be like, well, we have to do them anyways. And that student never show up to services. And, or show up once and again, leave the room crying and things that come up at home. And I just think that as all of us that are not mental health professionals or social workers, it's good to have a reminder to, you know, check in with your students, have that connection be your first goal before you go to any of that higher learning. And
2: I, and, and yes, I mean, there, I, I feel you on that. I feel like we could do an entire podcast on that, that a goal (laughs) has been in a child's IEP from kindergarten to 12th grade. And we're like, why is this goal still here? Because we're just comfortable keeping it in there. And we're not really reassessing, like, what's the need here? Because what do they actually need? Yes. And I I think I, I find that and maybe it comes with age, and maybe because i've I've been doing this a while that I, I'm like, if I need to, if, if I find that if I'm asking the child and, and, and that's younger children. I, I mean, I've gone up to let, let's talk about a five point scale. Where are we on that? And how are you feeling? But if I have a, a child who's at a one who, and, and they'll tell me why, I mean, I've had students say, uh, I made a, I made a mess this morning when I was eating breakfast and my dad screamed at me and he took away this and that, and they're coming in and I'm saying, okay, let's, let, let I'm, I have to meet you here. So let's play a game. Whether you're a, a, a speech therapist, occupational therapist, academic teacher, we have to do something. Let, let's take demands away or, or take extreme demands away and say, let's play a game. Let's get this child in the right frame of mind to be able to learn, to be able to participate and, and to be able to be successful at what we're trying to do with them. I think it's really important, especially what we've all been through in the last two and a half years. I mean, we have students now that if we thought we were dealing with mental health issues five years ago, we're really dealing with mental health issues Mm -hmm. now. And it's, it's in so many different places to uncover. We really have to uncover them.
1: Yep. I had I still remember one of my first school placements um a the I think it was the school psychologist or the school counselor saying if you want to know about a kid's social skills make them play a board game with you <laughs> they'll all come out whether they can handle change well whether they can handle losing all of those things start to yeah, come out
2: absolutely and it, it's it's so interesting to and, and I always say too. Um, make sure when you're playing those games, you don't take things personally. I know I have adults that are like, they're really trying to win the game or their own social (laughs) emotional things come out. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, remember, like we're, we're trying to teach children here. We're not, you know, we're not trying to win shoots and ladders, but (laughs) I think too, I think in this in this day and age and and right now, we're we're so focused on feelings, right? With social emotional learning, and we're so focused on feelings. And and we have children now who, who can tell us, I feel angry, I feel sad, but I think another piece is that we're not connecting those thoughts and behaviors with the feelings. We're really just feelings, feelings, feelings. What are you feeling? Here's all the feelings, but I think another two other important questions we should be asking students when we're talking about feelings is what are you thinking like what are your thoughts when you feel sad or what are your thoughts when you're disappointed and and then what how do you act what what do you do when you're feeling angry and and then really working through them so I think there's so many layers to all of this and we're getting better I'm I'm so happy with where we are in in schools and talking about social emotional um learning but i really think we have a ways to go too
0: and so how, how would you adjust what you're doing for telepractice are there any major adjustments that that you found you had to do
2: um i want to say m- my biggest obstacle in adjusting is not seeing the kid right the student who keeps their camera off and, and not being like, hey, you have to turn your camera on, you have to turn your camera on. And I know that's a goal, but I want to connect with them before I'm trying to force them to do something that's uncomfortable, right? So I I feel like in the last two and a half years that I've been doing this, I've gotten a lot better at it because it, it caused a whole lot of anxiety in me that I was like, I can't see this kid. I, I'm not really getting the the body language or what. How to, how to connect with them. But I think really like meeting the, the student where where he or she is and saying like, okay, I get it. You don't want to turn your camera on. Uh, can you at least turn your microphone on? And next session, can you turn your camera on for like five minutes and, and kind of going there? That's an adjustment obviously because in brick and mortar, I see the student. He's either in front of me or he's not. Um, but having the camera off or the mic off. And then the student that just wants to chat with you. I'm like, okay, let's, I automatically make that my goal. Now we're talking about IEP goals, but I'm like the camera's off. The mic is off. My goal is to have the microphone on and the camera on at some point, so I, I it really goes back to that connection, right? If I can get the, the students to connect with me and feel more comfortable with me, they're going to turn their, their camera on and they're going to turn their microphone on. Um, I, was, I was very skeptical at first of, just from doing in-person for so long. I was like, how? How do, how do you connect with a student over a camera? But I think, A, the pandemic made us all, good at it because we had to be good at it. We had to figure it out. Um, as a social worker, even during the pandemic, that was really hard. Um, because when we talk about trauma, now you have students who are in homes where there's a whole lot of trauma and there's no escape. Um, but I I would say that I, I would, I would go back to the connection in terms of, of what I had to do. I had to get, again, I can't bring my my board games and say, you know, here they are. So if a student doesn't have their camera on, I'm sharing my screen, I'm putting up a get to know you game, you know, let's, let's do this and and see if I can connect with them through a game so that they can feel comfortable. I think it's that, I think it's challenging that comfort level when it's so easy for them to turn their cameras off.
1: Yeah. Do you have any favorite games or activities for telepractice that you used?
2: Um, wow. I, I use a lot. I love, I love games that are, are actual games, but then you throw, like I have a, I have, um, uh, it, it's actually a, a shoots and ladders game that, the kids when they go on a a certain number. So they roll the dice, they go on a certain number. And then obviously I read a social situation to them. And then, you know, we're, we're talking about what would we do in that social situation? And then we're going back to the game. So any game that's like familiar to them in a, in a regular, you know, social setting, I feel like is great. I love, um, I love the getting to know you games and I know that most people just use them in the beginning but I throw them in there even in the middle too if I feel like I'm lagging and and the student is kind of like getting bored or I can tell I'm like let's let's throw a game in there I have a, a whack-a-mole game that you hit the mole like you hit the mole and a question like pops up so the younger kids love to like oh let me they take a hammer and they hit the mole and then you know a question pops up and and those games uh you can I mean, on like the, the smart board or whatever, you can change those questions throughout the year. So it could be a, a get to know you game in the beginning, and then it could be a social situation game. And then it can be uh what would you do in in this type of situation? And you can always switch them. But if but if I find a kid really likes a game, I, I, I there's no shame in me trying to use it five or six times. I'm like, we're going to go back to whack-a-mole, but it's going to ask you different questions. And they're like, yay, whack-a-mole. So I, any kind of interactive game, I love the, I love the games. And I know in terms of speech and counseling, that pragmatic piece, right? Like crosses over. We overlap.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> so I even like the, in on like hopscotch, um, it'll have the person and then the kids can change the eyes and the nose and the mouth. And and I'll say, oh, I'll, I'll give them a certain situation and I'll say, in in this situation, how do you think Susie feels? Can you show me on the person? And they're so good at it. Like they love to, I'm like, the hair doesn't change how the person feels, but they love changing the hair and (laughs) everything. And I just sit back and let them. And then I I also, uh, another um, resiliency piece is not to be afraid to let the child fail or be wrong. I feel like sometimes if, if, if Susie in the story is feeling sad and they are making a person that looks excited. I, I, I just sit back and I'm like, let's talk about that. Like, like, what does this person feel like? It, explain to me. And I just want to hear where they are, what they're doing instead of like, mm, I don't think that's how Susie feels because it, it's everybody's different perspective, right? Like, so some one time I had a student who did that and the, the person they... Not drew, but built looked excited to me. But when I really sat down and had the conversation with the student, it was like anxiety that they were trying to uh, depict, and I was seeing as as excited. And you know, if we're just real quick to jump, we're saying that's wrong, and and he wasn't wrong. So oh. I think really kind of letting them bring you to, you know, what the answer is instead of, no, it's not, it's sad. And what do you right. think Susie was feeling? Everybody has their own perspective in in terms of emotions.
1: Yeah. and And I think for us, when we think about like, not just whether they were right or wrong, but why they were wrong and in whatever task you're doing, that gives you so much more information than just like whether they were correct or not. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly.
0: So Tammy, it is now time for something called oh, our no. moment, our moment of Zen.
2: <laughs> oh, I love a moment of Zen.
0: See, see, <laughs> she's she's a supporter already. So we we have we have uh, three lists of questions for you. Not all three, but you choose one of them, and they're it's list A, B, or C. And which one would you like to do? List A, B, or C.
2: Oh, I always like to just go right in the middle. I'm going to ch-
0: pick B. Okay, a B person. <laughs> <laughs> so this is just uh, something we do with our guests, just to get to know them on you know fun level, personal level. Um, nothing too personal though. So, uh, but you can answer any way you'd like. Okay. Sure. So first question is. Would you describe yourself as an introvert or an extrovert?
2: Oh, an extrovert. One thousand percent.
0: I would agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> What's the best compliment you've received?
2: Oh, um, that's a tough one. I, I feel like. I want to say that I'm a strong person. I want to say that 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 is a is a good compliment. It has been one of the best compliments I've ever had because I, a lot of times you don't feel strong and and to see that other people are saying like wow, like you you've really handled that well or 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 that was strong. I think too and I think always a great compliment is when a family has said you really took the time to get to know me. You've really took the time to figure out what could help me and what, um, supports would help our family. I feel like that's always a great compliment. Obviously it's what I do for a living. So it helps foster me and saying, I want to keep going.
0: <laughs> awesome. Uh, next question is who has been the most influential person in your life and how did he or she impact you?
2: Oh, wow. Um, so Obviously, I'm going to show this to my family, and I would love to say my mom first because my mom has my mom is, is a teacher. Um, she's a retired teacher, but growing up, always seeing my mother really dedicated to her students. Um, and even to this day, um, having her students come back to her and say, You really made an impact in my life. I feel like early on that mm-hmm. was really influential um, to me. And then uh, when I first started my career. Um I was so blessed to be under the wing of a social worker now turned um Bucks County commissioner for <laughs> Bucks County in Pennsylvania. Right. Um her name's Diane Marseglia and she was my mentor and I had no idea what I was doing in a school setting um because as I told you I I worked with the elderly population Mm -hmm. and then had kids and then thought, Oh, I'm an expert on kids. Um, But I certainly wasn't. And having her really teach me the fundamentals of social work and what it means to advocate for families and and children was, was uh, so extremely pivotal in my career. I think, you know, just watching her and I mean, everybody needs a good mentor. And when you have a good mentor, I mean, your, your career and your profession, I feel like just really flourish. And I mean, and she knows I do still to this day thank her so much. She, she's no longer a social worker in the school, obviously, because Mm -hmm. she's, uh, she's helping our community in other ways, but so, so strong and so dedicated. And I think. Education wise, um, we can learn so much in in college and and in books and in lectures, but really seeing someone do what they do day in and day out mm-hmm. um, and learning from that is is just so important. So I would definitely say Diane marsiglia
0: Awesome. That's that's a great tribute. <laughs> um, next question is, what do people misunderstand about you? <laughs>
2: Oh, you're quiet and shy.
0: You're quiet and shy, right? (laughs) Right.
2: (laughs) I think when people, uh, I want to go back to that strength thing again. I think being extroverted, being able to to talk to people, being able to help in any situation. um, I advocate a lot for other people. And then I really feel like then everybody just comes to me, right? Like then you become this person that people are like, she can help you. She can help things don't bother her. Let's just go, go to her for help. And I think what people might misunderstand about me is that uh, sometimes I need a shoulder and I'm not so great at asking for a shoulder. Um, so I think that that's misunderstood that maybe sometimes the, the per- the, the caregiver needs some care.
0: Yeah. Good. Very good point. <laughs> um. Next question. What's something surprising that you've learned about yourself?
2: Um, Something surprising is what I've learned. And again, you know, so many things come with age. I feel like <laughs> what I've learned is that I don't have to control every situation. I feel like when I was younger and, uh, Being a single mother, I was like, I have to control this and I have to control this because that helped my own stress and my own anxiety. If I could control it, then I could figure out how I was going to feel, how people were going to react. And I feel like, I don't want to say that's gotten me in trouble. I just feel like it's gotten me in sticky situations where people don't want to be controlled and Mm -hmm. then they don't want to be controlled. And I don't want to just leave it up to what's going to happen Um, but I think letting things happen organically and allowing other people to just be who they are, um, I think it is, is really important. Uh, So I think, and knowing that we can all be happy if I'm not controlling everything, it could still work out.
0: That's, that's great. (laughs) Uh, next question is, uh, do you have a favorite quote or saying that, Mm.
2: Oh, I have so many of them. Um, I feel like just off the top of my head, because I'm like, I have to think of one and you're, I want to Google, but I'm not. Um, but I want to go to um, Zach Brown Band and a lyric from a Zach Brown Band song that yeah. I always quote is life's too easy to be so damn complicated. Um, I think I use that one a lot, like that we we are complicating our lives. Mm -hmm. on many occasions. And it really, if we just sit back, it goes back to that control thing too, right? If you just sit back and it it really is, it's, I I feel like that's a great one.
0: I think that's, that's perfect. (laughs) Um, How would you define success?
2: I would define success as really being content and happy with who you are and what you do at the end of each day if you can if you go home and you feel like i did my best i made a difference i i i feel fulfilled i feel i really feel like that's that's success it's not about how much money you make it's not about what you have it's about if you can at the end of the day say i i did i did my best i did what i was supposed to do i touched someone's life. I, I helped someone. I feel like that, that to me is success.
0: That sounds great. Um, what's the best advice a mentor ever gave you about <laughs> your, your work or your life? Um, Whew. or just any I, piece of advice you've got. Could be here.
2: I've gotten bad advice, but <laughs> we'll, go, we'll go with the positive. No, I think just um, I, I feel like the best advice as a social worker, I feel, I feel like, is to to really, and I feel like we say this a lot, but to take the judgment out of everything. um and I know that again, I feel like that comes with experience because you know, we all know the the young teachers or the young practitioners that are like, um. oh, you know, I don't know why this student's doing this or I don't know what's going on here and something must be going on at home. And if you have enough life experiences, you see that anything can change, you know, what's going on and any kind of uh, uh, stressful event or or trauma can happen to anybody. And once you see that not everybody responds to stress and trauma the same way and we really have to be with people where they are and say this is how you know this family is dealing with this I really think that taking the judgment out of it and meeting families and children where they are um one of the biggest early in my career um, when I was working doing social skills with uh, children on the spectrum i felt like everybody said if you know one, person with autism, you know, one person with autism. And I feel like that was really, really good advice to say, I can't take an outline or a textbook and say, this is what's going to work with this student. Um, and I, and I think that goes, it goes way beyond any kind of developmental disability, right? It's, it's really with anybody. Um, you can't tell how anyone's going to react to any kind of stressful situation. So I think just really taking the judgment out and meeting people where they are.
0: I think that's, that's wonderful advice. Do you have a hack that you've discovered that works well, that could be with anything?
2: Hmm. I mean, uh, (laughs) if all else fails when working with adolescent boys, talk about video games. (laughs) 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 what I have learned. And I mean, my, my son is now Mm -hmm. 22, but I feel like Mm -hmm. um, when he was younger, I was like, if I can connect with a, an adolescent boy, if I can say, Hey, like what, what video game are you currently playing right now? They they'll talk for hours. (laughs) Whether you want them to or not. (laughs) So, I mean, if that's a hack, it, it, it helps me to, and then they, they're like, Hey, she wants to know about video games. So I, I've built a connection already. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I have a whole collection of um news articles written about video games on my news Ella website. I'm like, okay, if all else fails, I
2: can go to one of these. Exactly. You you mm-hmm. and you have to. I, I feel like you you have to you you have to be able to 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 go there if yep, if all else fails.
0: Well Tammy, here's the last question. If heaven exists, what do you want to hear God say when you enter the pearly gates? <laughs>
2: <laughs> um the beach is over here.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> I don't I, like I Welcome want, to the beach. <laughs> yeah, the beach is over here and we have a chair for you. Um awesome. I feel like that would be what I would love for him to say.
0: Well, Tammy, um Thank you for doing this uh, interview. And how can people reach out to you and, and get in contact if that's possible?
2: Um, I guess my my email address and that, I mean, I have a few of them. If I, mm-hmm. I would use, should I use the, the teletherapy one? I, that might be changing though. Um, I just Tammy limer at gmail.com. I'll just give my personal, my personal one. I feel like that's just easiest because it's my full name at Gmail, but yeah, I'd love to help anybody out. If anybody has any questions, I feel like this is really helpful. And I'm so super grateful for people like you that do these podcasts that allow people like me to have a voice and just if 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 i can impact somebody or help somebody with any of the things that i've done i feel like that's just all, where all of us are right we should all just be helping each other so i'm really grateful to you guys i've loved this opportunity it was so fun to talk to you and i loved group b group b was was great zen
0: <laughs> it's a good well, list <laughs> yeah well thank you again tammy and and good luck with everything
2: absolutely thank you guys
0: thank you tammy for all that you do Every day for the children that we are all trying to serve. Resiliency is an important topic right now. And I think we all need to do a better job of understanding how we can help children be more successful and especially meet the mental health challenges that they may be experiencing. So thanks again, Tammy. And thank you guys for joining us on the podcast. Please, if you don't mind, rate, review, subscribe, follow or share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. If you think they would be interested in telepractice, or this podcast, Telepractice Today, please share. Please let them know about us. We want to reach as many people as we can and increase the number of people that are listening. So, with that, we'll be back again next week. Until then, be safe and be kind. This has been a production of the 3C Digital Media Network.